This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. Welcome to Spooky School Stories, a podcast hosted by me, Charles Williams, a current school administrator and an educator for more than 15 years. This show was designed for and dedicated to my wife, who is also an educator and who loves all things paranormal. Through fan mail, guest interviews, and a few of our own personal experiences, we will explore the creepier side of education. Whether we're talking about the condemned third floor, or the haunted elevator, or even those creepy bathrooms, we all have spooky stories about school. Join us as we explore those stories. In this episode, I chat with Sean Woodley, a decorated K-12 teacher, university professor, and author whose deep passion and research have allowed him great success as an educator and entrepreneur. He is the architect behind the educator movement, Teach, Hustle, Inspire, and has written the best-selling book, MC Means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation in Urban and Culturally Diverse Classrooms. In both education and life, Dr. Woodley believes in having fun, He educates with love, enthusiasm, motivation, and of course, hustle. During our conversation, we talked about the 2%, you know, the percentage of the teaching force that is composed of black males. We discussed the desire to force us into constrained positions such as disciplinarians and managers because we are not often considered as capable of being instructional leaders. We examined code switching and whether or not it should be necessary for our students in order to be accepted as, quote, normal. We differentiated between culturally relevant and culturally responsive. And, well, we touched on music and explored Woodley's parallel with his favorite medium and his role in the classroom and beyond. Ready to slightly transform your groove? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Counter Narrative Podcast. So excited to have you back here and to be honest, extremely excited for the conversation that I'm about to have here. Uh, the gentleman that I have coming onto the show today is probably 
no, n- he's not new to any of you. And if he is, you are definitely in for a treat. I've been able to share some space and to follow his work uh, all over on social media. But this past summer, I had the honor of being able to sit in his session. Now, I, I, I know that we're not supposed to do this, uh, but when I go to <laughs> conferences, I look through the program and I'm like, who's here? Who do I know? Who do I want to go see? And I saw a name on there. I said, Sean Woodley. Yes, teach, hustle, inspire. I'm going to the session. It did <laughs> not disappoint. And now I have him here on the show. Sean, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Charles, man. Thank you again for the opportunity to you know just join you on this platform. I do not take it lightly when someone opens up their space to me, inviting me in to have a conversation. So salute to you. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. No, absolutely. You know, it, it when when I sat there and I got to listen to you in person and, and hear your phenomenal story, which you know <clears throat> the listeners will get to hear a little bit about that in a moment. You know, I was just like, this is an individual that I need to connect with. You know, like I was telling yeah. you a little earlier, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we talk in these spaces about how do we amplify voices of one another, especially as black male educators. We know it's an issue in education. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, I got a platform right here. So let me reach yeah. out. Let me get him on the show and let, let's have an amazing conversation. Absolutely, man. It's it's important. The I did a discussion one time and although I was aware of the statistics, but it just, it for some reason, that particular discussion sat in my spirit a different way and it was entitled The Noble 2% talking about the population of black male educators in the mm-hmm. landscape of education. We represent 2% of educators in this space, but you know that those young black boys and girls represent a significant more. Uh, it's it's disproportionate in other words. And so just us having a voice, us being in this space is critical. Well, I, I appreciate you you sharing the space, you know, and, and the work that you're doing. So uh, let's jump into it. Tell, mm-hmm. tell uh, well, not so much me, but I'm sure there's something I could learn from it. Uh, the listeners, tell them a little bit about who you are, the role you play in education, you know, and, and the journey, you know, along that course. Sure, sure. Again, my name is Dr. Sean Woodley. I am first and foremost a husband. I'm a father. I am not to get churchy, but I'm a child of God and I am an educator. I believe that I've been put on this earth to um, pour into the lives of others. And I've been able to and been blessed and fortunate to do that at many different levels. Um, Going back, I got, I am, let's see, doing the math and 16 year educator now. So I taught um, public schools. Uh, for 10 years. And I taught in a couple of different urban school districts. Anything, I taught levels K to eight. And then I taught at the college level for five years. And I taught uh, classroom management, student engagement courses there. Um, And now I am in the role of a full-time speaker and consultant. So I, I, I like to say that I've seen pretty much education, specifically urban and culturally diverse education from many different angles, from being a student growing up in urban schools, to teaching in urban schools, to researching in urban schools, and now working with teachers that serve in urban schools and urban and culturally diverse communities. So it's just been a wealth of experience and knowledge for me being able to see 
and support urban and culturally diverse schools from pretty much all different vantage points. Um, now I'm in a place of my life where I have the opportunity to serve educators across the country with it being at the time of this recording, this back to school season is particularly busy mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. I'm traveling a lot. A lot of back to school professional development is happening. Keynotes for conferences and things of that nature. I, I'm flying out of here in another day or so to do a keynote up for a college. So it's it's a it's an awesome privilege, but it is definitely definitely busy. Well, I, you know, I'm sure that the individuals who get to connect with you and hear you, you know, are not only inspired, uh, you know, but this idea that they, you're, I'm sure you're empowering them just like you did, you know, when, when I was in your session and, you know, I, I forgot to mention, you know, one of the things I, I typically ask, uh, and I just maybe assume that you were going to jump into it just a little bit, but now I get to know it. Maybe this is where you're going to go. So I always ask as part of the intro, is there something about you that maybe not a lot of people know? Because I knew that you used to have a job right mm -hmm. after school when you were teaching. Yep. Yep. <laughs> one of the, I had, actually I had two side hustles, but one of them uh, more, one of them I'm able to lean on and make a connection with stronger, but um, just music has always been an important facet of my life since before I can remember. And being a full-time teacher, uh, one of the things that I did was DJ. So on a good Thursday or Friday night, I'm going from the classroom to the club and I'm doing my best to make sure that everybody in that classroom has a good time. And I'm doing my best to make sure that everybody in that club has a good time. And it was just a really, it was a really interesting learning experience because believe it or not, I'm learning about myself and one role is helping the other. Me being a good teacher is helping me to be a better DJ. Me being a better DJ is helping me to be an even better teacher. It was almost cyclical because essentially what I'm trying to do in both roles is exactly the same. I'm creating an experience. I'm just using different tools. So, you know, as we jump into this, you know, I, and I'm going to go back to something that you said and you just so you guys, listeners, if, if you ever get a chance to connect or, or to listen to Sean, like one of the things that I love is the analogies that you would play between, uh, you know, like you said, you know, between your role as an educator and music. Mm -hmm. And I remember you, you mentioned, right. The, the opening lines to summertime, right. Yep. yep. And it, here does the groove slightly transform. Yes, sir. And, you know, I start to think, you know, and we were touching on this a little bit earlier about, you know, the role of black male educators mm -hmm. and, and I I'm blessed. I, I was in a school, Right, I was serving as a principal for the last six years in a space where I was able to cultivate a lot of men of color as educators. Nice. nice. And I just made a transition literally down the street. And I am again, once again, surrounded by a strong cohort of men wow. of color. But one of the things the principal and I have been having a conversation is that, you know, they started off as deans, right? The whole mm -hmm. disciplinarian role. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, there's the restorative practice role. It's, it's like a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why he wanted to, me to, to bring me over there was like, I, I need someone who looks like us, who does what we do, but in the role of an instructional leader. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I was honored to be able to jump into that. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, understanding kind of these, these, uh, I guess, pigeonholes that they put us in yeah. and, and the experiences that you've had, 
you know, the whole point of this podcast is to say, you know what, let's push back on one of those narratives. Yep. You know, this is that conversation that is always had, but maybe it's not necessarily always true. So I want you to, what is one of the things that you want to dive into that you're just like, look, I'm sick and tired of this. Let's talk about a reality or let's start to challenge that narrative. Sure. And I, you you spoke to it with just that concept of being pushed into the role of a disciplinarian. And to be truthful with you, Charles, I struggle with that. And and here's the reason why. On one hand, I believe that many of us are pushed into this role, and I'm using that term just for lack of a better phrase in the moment, but pushed, suggested, you know, voluntold, if you will, in these disciplinary roles because for many of the discipline concerns, there are students that look like us. Mm. If you're familiar with a lot of the discipline data, 95% of classroom management concerns are some are one, things, things that are considered either defiant, disruptive, or disrespect. And within the subsets of that data, it's disproportionately black males and females or students of color, if you will, disproportionately every single time. And so having black males to help with the discipline of black males and females, students of color, I guess in the eyes of some, it only makes sense. And the reason that I say that is because with that broad categorization of defiance, disruption, and disrespect, if you really peel back the layers on those three broad concerns, again, representing 95% of classroom management issues, they're all subjective. Mm -hmm. And if you really peel back that even further, what you'll find is that culture shapes that subjectivity of what determines what is defined as defiant, disruptive, or disrespectful. And if you peel back that even further, when you talk about particularly the black and brown students, for many of us, and I'm saying us because I was in this position as a student as well, you find that there are certain teachers that you can connect with easier because you don't have to pretend. Like mm -hmm. we're very, very used to right now, code switching. Code switching is a skill, but code switching requires a lot of effort, especially when you're younger. And for some students, they're just not able to do it. For some students, they just don't feel like doing it. And so you get what you get, and that can be interpreted as disrespect. It can be easily interpreted as being defiant. But then on the other hand of that, you have that disciplinarian, if you will, and I'm saying that with the air quotes, who that student no longer feels they need to do that. They can be their authentic selves. They're easier to reach and communicate with de-escalate situations because I feel comfortable around this person. This person understands me. This person gets me as opposed to someone else that they may perceive is out to get them. And so you, you have this instance where a lot of black males are pushed, suggested into these disciplinary roles for those reasons. And truth be told, if, if, if we really want to keep it all the way 100, a lot of times that can be in the, in the best interest of our students because you have an elevated risk of someone that is not in total understanding of that student and that student's vantage point, suspending that student, expelling that student. And so it's kind of a catch 22 is basically what I'm trying to say. 
Yes, you're pigeonholed and pushed into that position, but also statistically, there's a more of a likelihood of a misunderstanding to occur if there's not a cultural understanding. So you're you're kind of in this situation where, you know, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. You know, it it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I guess there was, you know, to be honest, in the work that I've been, I, I never really considered it on that other side is that, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're there because we look like our students, right? And And... I start to think about what that means because, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, like a reef out in in Pennsylvania has this whole like pipeline. Right. And and we're trying to talk about how come, you know, we're at two percent. How come we don't Mm -hmm. have more of us in this field? Mm -hmm. And as you're talking, I start to think to myself, well, you know, students are seeing us in the school space. But what they're seeing is, well, I can be here, but that, that is the role, right? That's how I'm connecting that, you know, like, you you know, we say that students can't be what they don't see. Correct. Right. And so it's like, you're right. There, there's this upside of saying, Hey, at least we're at this point that if you come and see me, or I should say when, because of the issues that we just kind of talked about, when you come and see me, we're going to be able to deescalate. We're going to be able to work Mm -hmm. our way through it. We're going to be able to address those issues, Mm -hmm. you know, so that way, at least you don't get sent home. At least you get to hopefully stay inside the classroom. Right. Right. And get an education. And just two weeks ago during orientation, you know, I was trying to explain to our parents when they were hearing about like restorative practices and what it meant. And I, I was like, I can go into all these things. But instead, what I did is I put up a slide, the, you know, that whole gap. And I said, I know you guys know this data. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate it because we talk about it all the time. You know, we were just in our leadership meeting. I said, but the truth is one of the biggest reasons that this gap is here. Yes, there's experiences and opportunities and all these other things. I said, but our babies don't learn if our babies aren't in class. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, when, when, when they keep getting pushed out and then we wonder, well, how come they're struggling with reading? How come they're struggling with math? Well, when you keep sending them down to the people who look like them to handle them. Right. And so you know, the idea I was selling to them, like restorative practices, if done correctly, right, it, it gives them an opportunity to stay in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But I, I, w- I would love to see more individuals, either A, right, who look like us in the instructional spaces, so our students have that same level of comfort, that same level of mm-hmm. connectivity, you know, but I, I'm curious, you know, just some of your thoughts. I mean, obviously, that's going to take some time. Yeah. Right. I, I was just presenting down in Louisville and, and a teacher came up to me and said, well, Charles, it makes sense, but that's going to take a couple of generations until these people filter through. What do we do? Until yeah. Then? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious, right? Like it's great. We've, we've made some progress. We've made steps that, all right, we got people in the building. It's a small percentage. Maybe they're not where we want them to be, but, but we're making some type of progress what are some of the ideas that you have in your mind? Like, Hey, until we get to that point, until Mm -hmm. our teacher population starts to reflect our student population, what are some of the things that we can do? Cause I know you talked a little bit about culture Mm -hmm. and I love the fact that you did. Cause as I was watching it, I was like, yep, like there it is. Mm -hmm. We have to improve the learning experience. And when I say experience, I mean the total inside out the, the, from the moment that those students step into the door because what happens for many students of color, particularly black students, 
is they're in the learning environment and they're not succeeding because of they're succeeding in spite of. And that's a very, very big difference. Additionally, when an issue occurs, excuse me, let's just say that there is an opportunity to put some restorative practices in place or to meet with someone who is in an authoritative position that does look like that student to help repair the harm, which is fine, but there was still harm done. There was still something that escalated. There was still up. There was still some point of contention at which the student is in an issue in the first place. And that's a result of the learning environment. The learning environment is not a place of comfort for many students of color, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So if this is not a place of comfort for me, if if this is a place where I'm just in here to get by, or as Marshawn Lynch said, so I won't get fined, if I have to be here, not I don't want to be here, why would I then go through this for 13 years and then want to come back in it professionally? Like that mm-hmm. just, the regardless of how you spin it, it makes no sense. So until we change the learning experience for students to a place of comfort and to a place that they want to be in, we're going to continue to stay right here at the 2% or lower. Hmm. I just, I'm thinking about so many things as we're having this conversation, you know, those spaces of trauma, those spaces of Mm -hmm. discomfort that kids are having, you know, and, and uh, unfortunately so often it's, it's unnecessary, right? I mean, you, you, you touched on those ideas of defiance, disruption, disrespect, those, those very subjective, you know, because I, I don't understand the culture. I don't understand who you are. Um, and it's, it's easy, right. For those individuals who knew how to code switch and say, I, I can navigate this space, you know, but so I guess one of my questions is this, then if I'm a teacher hearing this and, and I have seen this as awkward as it may be sometimes that attempt on their end to code switch, mm-hmm. right. To say, okay. I'm going to try to make this lesson relevant to you, which one of the things that frustrates me the most is like, well, if I'm going to teach young black males in an ELA class, immediately it's like hip hop. Like, really? That That's right. the very first thing that you're going to go to right. all the time? Yeah. <laughs> but uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, so, you know, immediately I think two things. Like, first of all, do all your students know hip hop? Are they going to enjoy it? And secondly, do you know it enough? Correct. Like, to, to, to really dive in and to have these conversations and, you know, like, I'll be honest, like, that was not, that's part of the story that I share that that's not how I grew up. Yeah. And sitting in that Twitter space the other day, just listening, I was like, man, I want to go back and listen to some of these songs and I'll dive into some of those lyrics and really hear what's being said outside of that mm-hmm. nice beat or whatever it may be. Right. So I'm just curious then, like, what can teachers do if they're, if they're sitting here listening to you and saying, Sean, like, I, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. we need to create these spaces but I, I, I may not look like my students. I may not have had the same experiences as my students. What can I do? And I think that's one of the first things that needs to be addressed. You don't have to look like your students or mm-hmm. have had the same experience because truth be told, you can look exactly like your students and still not understand mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite teachers was my third grade teacher. And I'll never forget, she was an older white lady, but 
that class. She was not in there trying to spit Eric B and Rakim. She was not in there talking about, you know, this at the time. This was the the 80s. So, you know, she's she's not in there talking about slick Rick. She's she's being herself. But she created an environment where all of her students felt safe. I remember her to this day. I'm almost 40. Her name was Mrs. Southard, and she was my third grade teacher, and she made me feel safe. And she was not trying to be anything but herself. And I think that one of the common misunderstandings about trying to create a safe space for students of color, there's a very big difference between being culturally relevant and culturally responsive. Culturally relevant, you're throwing hip hop lyrics in there. You're trying to make everything rhyme with a beat. Okay, that's all fun and games, but that's going to get old. And if that's not something that you're comfortable with, it's going to be very, very obvious. When we talk about cultural responsiveness, we're talking about how the brain makes sense of the world around you and leveraging that. Are you creating community in your classroom? Are you providing an opportunity for your students to be authentically curious? And are you tapping into some of the natural neurotransmitters of the brain to peak and get that dopamine and that oxytocin firing by making yourself relatable to your students and creating relationships first and putting those relationships and leveraging those relationships to draw out the content or is everything about the Pythagorean theorem and these times tables? You know what? I I wanted to ask as we're having these conversations, you know, this, you, you mentioned earlier, right? You, you can look differently. You can look, you know, have different experiences. Like I, I forgot somebody mentioned to me, right? Like just cause we're skin folk doesn't mean we're kin folk. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to have a conversation kind of like taking it a couple steps back and going down a different little pathway here, because a lot of times we have dialogue you know, that, that engages in kind of that discourse too, right? We, 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 uh, you know, we blame other discourse one, right? We, we blame others and we say, well, the reason why we don't have more of us in these spaces, it's look, look at the teachers in the classroom, look at this, look at that, look at this. And I'm, I'm hoping. And so, you know, if, if anyone with that power is listening to this episode, let me know, <laughs> but I, I'm hoping to be, at the BME convening up in Philly, uh, you know, this November. Awesome. And one of the things that I, I want to do at that, because, you know, I sat and I thought about it, like, what what can I talk to about people who look like it? It's really easy to go to spaces and, and to share what is just common knowledge for us and people eat it up. But I said, what, what can I do and, and talk about, you know, to other individuals? And I started asking, like, what are we doing? to contribute to the fact that we're not in this space. Like our, we talk a lot about what we are doing mm-hmm. to, to, to add students, right. To push students into these spaces, which is great. But I think that we also have to be reflective of what are some of the practices that we have, you know, that maybe also pushing our students out of this space. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that because I know a lot of times, right. There are people who, who use these opportunities to get real smug, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's those folk that they're the problem. But in the show, we, we try to make people a little uncomfortable because sometimes we're the problem. Yeah. So I, I, I wonder mm-hmm. if you could talk just a little bit about any of your experiences or the things that you had, or just dropping something for us on that. 
Absolutely, because that is where I lived when I started in education. I was that 22-year-old teacher who just didn't know any better. I was teaching in an urban school in a particular classroom where they literally just ran the teacher out. And that's why the position became vacant. I started my teaching career not over the summer when most people get hired. I started in the fall, in October. <laughs> and so I came you in there You with don't the take mentality. those jobs, Sean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, I, I came in there with the mentality that they just ran this teacher out of there, but I need this check. And so you're not going to do this to me. And I came and fit right into the oppressive practices that I fight so much, so hard against now. I mean, I fit right into the system and to the point where I generated literally an environment of fear because from the outside looking in, it looked like I had good classroom management. It looked like my students were quote unquote under control, but literally I got a phone call from one of my students' parents that said, yo, my, my, my daughter's scared in there, literally. And so that was a, an extreme wake up call for me. That was not the type of person that I desired to be, not the type of educator that I desired to be. And that was really a moment for me to reflect and say, I am doing harm to my own people, literally. And I taught like that for probably two years. And so I made a vow from that day going forward that I was going to make some changes. I was going to be more of a self-reflective practitioner. I started by apologizing to that young lady, not just verbally, but with my behavior and not just to her, but to my students. And to this day, to be honest, it still bothers me because I know there were some students that slipped through the cracks who felt like as, again, one of 2% in the entire United States, I had more than more than my, the population of my students were more than 2% of the population of my students were black. And I know that there were some who just probably didn't feel comfortable around me, didn't feel comfortable talking to me, didn't feel comfortable expressing their needs. Or even if you're in an environment of fear, your brain essentially can't function to its maximum, to mm -hmm. its maximum capacity when you're, you're worried about your safety because that's, it's, it's perceiving a threat right now. And here you are trying to teach and, and it just... It's it's one of those mistakes that I made, but it was a mistake that was a, a huge, huge learning lesson for me. Well, you know, kudos to you for the fact that you were able to, you know, take that feedback from that parent and say, whoa, 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 like, what am I doing? Yeah. Right. And to be able to see that, because I, I know a lot of teachers who would have been celebrating like, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's you know, and, and so, so kudos to you to be able to take that and say, like, I, I'm not fixing the problem, right? I, I'm not helping. Right. I, I'm literally contributing to, I need to do something different. Yep. So, you know, Sean, I, I, my mind is going into a billion different spaces right now, just because I'm <laughs> like, there are so many different topics and I'm like, Charles, try to, try to keep this streamlined here. Uh, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, as we as we are, are moving towards our, our our thirty minute mark here, like if you could just leave us with something, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're talking about you know all of these different facets. The idea that yeah, we we need to be able to connect with our students authentically, 
yes. as you mentioned, right? Even mm-hmm. though I may be of a different culture, I, I I still need to connect with you authentically. We we've talked about you know the experiences that students have. Like it doesn't make any sense to sit in a space for you know thirteen, fourteen, however many years, and to, and then to expect them to jump right back in and say, yeah, I, I loved it. Like right. So you know, as, as we're thinking about this, especially as you mentioned that we're we're towards the beginning of the school year, an excellent opportunity you know, for educators to maybe pause and be reflective. You know, mm-hmm. it's never too late to say, wait a second. Right. Let, let me shift gears. Let me do something a little bit differently. What is something that you would love for them to to just sit on for a moment, to reflect on, to process, to say, you know what, I can, I can be a part of the solution, you know, and not necessarily a part of this problem. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. And my response to it is this, the movement of which I'm the founder, Teach, Hustle, Inspire, my response would be to reflect on that. And when I say Teach, Hustle, Inspire, I mean this. The teach means to unlock intellectual treasure. And I'm not just talking about, truth be told, the students. Because yes, we want to take their funds of knowledge and capitalize on that to help build their competency and academic skills, but we also have to learn to unlock our own intellectual treasure. The hustle part is about, you know, a little bit of that 90s hip hop bad boy flavor. Can't stop learning. We won't stop learning. And if you if you really want to get fly with it, you put a little eh, 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 Diddy style in there. <laughs> but that is all about really the can't stop learning, the won't stop learning. That's that's growth. That's growth. And, and with that growth comes change. And without that change, you literally, and it's not to state the obvious, but you're staying the same. And if you're going to be an educator that stays the same, I don't think you should be in the classroom mm-hmm. because we, we need educators in this life that are students of their craft. And we are in the relationship building business as educators because we do not work with machines. And that leads me to the final part of it, the inspire. The inspire means to spread love and light. And if love and light are not in your classroom, there is a serious opportunity there for you to open that open that window, if you will, and let that love and light shine. And you have to let that love and light shine for your students and more importantly for yourself. Be someone that they can love, be, be someone that, that that can be a source of light for them and a source of love because we need that in the learning environment. And I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And, and speaking of Teach Us Will Inspire, you know, I, I always want to make sure that we, we create space, uh, you know, for, for the work that we're doing. Um, and so I, I know you have a book out there, right? MC means move the class, uh, mm-hmm. a, a whole nother spin on the music and education, which I love. <laughs> Uh, so I just want to give you a moment to plug the book. I know you, you know, you kind of plugged a little bit of the work that you do. You know, obviously you get to go around, you know, connecting, speaking, engaging people. You were just here in Chicago for mm-hmm. those of you, you know, in the Chicago area, if you missed him. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and plug your book and uh, let us know how can we find it, but not just it, but how can we connect with you? Uh, you know, if somebody wants to either come see you or bring you into their space uh, sure. to do some work with their uh, organization. Sure. My The book is entitled, as it was mentioned, MC means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation in Urban and Culturally Diverse Schools or in Classrooms. The, the book breaks down what I call the elements of urban education, talking about achievement, getting our students from where they are to where they need to be, the alliance, the connection that 
is a literal biological need, relationship building, the awareness of educators taking care of themselves and being self-reflective practitioners, and of course, the artistry, which is the creativity aspect of being an educator. Talking about just how those four elements can help to create balance in the learning environment. Many educators will find that they probably have or are proficient in one of those areas, but not so much the others. And so it helps to build capacity in all four of those areas at whatever capacity you may need to create, again, balance in the learning environment. I am fortunate enough and work with schools and school districts literally across the country to help to basically equip teachers with the, the tools you know, and capitalize on the tools that they already have to help with more sound instruction so that we can, again, unlock our students' intellectual treasure. I wholeheartedly believe, Charles, that educators that are in the classrooms, not right now, they want what's best for their students. But mm-hmm. what we found and what the research shows is that just that we're not as adequately prepared as we would need to be, especially teaching in certain conditions. And so I'm just on a mission to help not just close the achievement gap, but the instructional gap. Well, you know, that, that that's powerful. I think so oftentimes we... We, we quickly, we've built systems on this, right? Where we point the finger mm-hmm. and we blame and we blame and we blame without any sort of context, without any sort of understanding or interpretation. It's just your scores weren't where they need to be, right? What did you do wrong? It's right. all like, and so I love the fact that you said, look, you, you've got, you, you have the talent, you have the skills, you have these things. It's just, we are operating in a, in a, in a time right now, in a system right now. And I, I, I don't want to be one of those people we're going to use the pandemic, you know, 40 years mm-hmm. from now and be like, well, you know, like, but the reality is we are, we're operating in some, some abnormal times. And so let's figure out how to take those skills, the knowledge, the expertise that we have and apply them in the right way. That's it. And so I love that, that, That's it. you know, it's shifting away from that deficit mindset thinking. That's it. 100%. So you know, we, we talked a little bit about Teach Hustle Inspire. We talked about, a little bit about the book. Uh, how can they connect with you? Where where can they find you? Sure, sure. My website and all things Dr. Sean Woodley, teachhustleinspire.com. I'm also pretty much on all forms of social media every day. Twitter and uh, it's at Sean Woodley or Instagram and Facebook at Teach Hustle Inspire. Man, so I again, I, I I cannot say thank you enough. Not just for being on the show, uh, but you know, just for everything that you're doing. I mean, you, you you are an inspiration. Uh, you know, it's it's always phenomenal to find individuals, like minded individuals. You know, and so I can tell you that when I was in Vegas, you helped to refuel me and to get me oh, fired man, thank up. Thank you. Uh, so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I definitely got to salute you too. You know, just first of all being courageous enough to have these conversations, which are so important. And with your consistency of not just what everything you're doing, but doing this on top of everything else that you're doing, because as I'm sure you know, this podcast life is not easy and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, preparation on top of everything else that you have going on. So my hat's off to you, Charles. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. And I know I know our paths will cross and I, I look forward 
to being able to do this work together and, and to make an impact. So uh, until we meet again. Absolutely, sir. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at the CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.